Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Good morning. It is a joy today to be with you to share the word. I invite you now, if you would, to get out your Bibles or maybe uh, pull up your Bible app if you like to do that, or maybe even simply close your eyes so that you might hear uh, the words from the gospel, the Holy Spirit's gospel, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, selected verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty and loving God, we give you thanks for this morning, and we give you thanks for the rain and the way that it washes the world clean and makes it new. It reminds us of our baptism. God, as we, your children, have risen up this morning and greeted the day with you, we have gathered here, your church, to worship you. 
We pray now that on this Pentecost day, your Holy Spirit would fill this place, that all who gather here today will be saved, for as they declare that you are their Lord and Savior. Now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable to you, our God, our Rock, and our Redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I can very vividly remember an April Sunday in 2007. It was a crystal clear day, not at all like today. The flowers were blooming, the grass was green, the birds were singing, and all seemed right with the world. My dad was driving that morning and he found a perfect parking spot right in front. And I can remember taking a huge breath, trying to steady my pounding heart. Dad had quickly gotten out of his side of the car and come around to open up my door. And as I stepped out of the car, I took in the majesty of the building right in front of me. It was beautiful. It was timeless. It was majestic and profoundly holy. Now, being a military brat and traveling the world as I have, I have seen many churches in my life. But personally, none was more stunning than the one that was right in front of me. To be honest with you, I was filled with a lot of emotion and very overwhelmed with a deep sense of something holy stirring within my heart. Bob Nations, Reverend Bob Nations, had asked me to meet him in the foyer of the church that morning. So my dad and I made our way across the Fifth Street patio and into the doors, hoping that we would encounter someone who could tell us where to go. But alas, we found no one but John Wesley, standing in the back, pointing his finger this way. And so we came on in to the sanctuary. Again, my daddy and I stood in this center aisle and were captivated by the elegance of this place. In awe of the stained glass windows, the detail of all the woodwork around us, and we were taken in by the invitation of the center aisle to come on down. Now, it took us a bit to find Bob that morning. As many of you know, if you're a newcomer to Centenary, it's a lot to navigate. It reminds me a little bit of Hogwarts in the Harry Potter series. Long corridors and hallways and shifting staircases. But once we found him, he welcomed us with open arms and introduced us to the church. Friends, this morning is the birthday of the church. Now, I'm not talking about Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm talking about the church, Big C Church. What we have come to know as Pentecost is what we celebrate today. The day that the Holy Spirit, the one who Jesus promised us would come, came in a mighty rushing wind and of tongues of fire that sat upon everyone who was gathered there that first Pentecost. And all were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the date of Pentecost changes a little bit every year, along with Easter. It's always 
10 days after the Ascension, which we celebrated last week, and 50 days after Easter. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that just 50 days ago, simply seven weeks ago, we celebrated Resurrection Day in this very place with the flowers and the music and the song and the reminder that Jesus had left the tomb. He had come back just as he said he would. He had conquered sin and death because he loved us so much. And now, 50 days later, the Comforter, the one Jesus promised would be with us always, has arrived. Pentecost began as a Jewish harvest festival called Shabbat, the Feast of Harvest, or the Feast of Wheats, a thanksgiving of the first fruits of the wheat harvest which was 50 days after the agricultural festival of Passover. It is also associated with the gift of the law that was given to the people through Moses at Mount Sinai. The apostles, they were gathered together to celebrate this festival when suddenly the Holy Spirit appears, like a mighty rushing wind, like tongues of fire ablaze, and a cacophony of voices in different languages swept over everyone. Now, I imagine it sounded and felt like the hottest day of Florida days in the middle of August, standing in the center of Epcot at Disney. Languages from every nation spoken in a collective of people coming and going, watching and listening, lots of speculation and wonderment. And then Peter stands up and commands the crowd. And with the other 11, he implores everyone to stop and listen and reminds them of the prophecy of Joel, that God will pour out God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, on all people, all people. Upon Peter's impassioned sermon, 3,000 were baptized that day. Hence the beginning of the Christian church. Now, can you imagine a crowd of people so moved by their preacher that 3,000 decided to be baptized that day? I'd say that is something to strive for, for sure. But all this makes me wonder, what is the church really? Is it a building? Is it a steeple? Is the church tradition? Is it a resting place along the way? In 1972, Richard Avery and Donald Marsh tried to answer this very question together when they wrote the now famous hymn, We Are the Church. And this is what they decided. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. The church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a people. We're many kinds of people with many kinds of faces, all colors and ages too, from all times and places. 
Sometimes the church is marching, sometimes it's bravely burning, sometimes it's riding, sometimes it's hiding, always it's learning. And when the people gather, there's singing and there's praying, there's laughing and there's crying sometimes, all of it saying, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus, all around the world, yes, we're the church together. At Pentecost, some people received the Holy Spirit and told the good news through the world to hear who would all hear it. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. The disciples the early apostles, those brand new baptized people on that first Pentecost so long ago, they didn't have a building. They had each other. They were many kinds of people with many kinds of faces, all colors and ages and from all times and places. But as time has gone on, we and our humanity have built edifices, sanctuaries, campuses and the like to gather in to worship, to pray, to hold classes and meetings. And unfortunately for so many of us, that is the church, the place, it's the structure. It's the thing we go to on Sundays to get our weekly dose of God. We have made the church, a church something that we do, somewhere we go, rather than the people we gather with. In 2022, Howard Kramer, an enthusiast in religious history and architecture, set out to discover how many churches there were in the world, and all over the world. Now, according to Quora.com, the estimated number of church buildings accommodating Christian congregations is approximately 37 million. It's a lot of churches. That is one church for every 65 people in a congregation. Now, according to the Christian Post, the more realistic number is at 300,000, with an estimated 228.1 million Christians in the U.S. That's an average of 760 persons per congregation. But we in the U.S., we like to do things big, and so we have lots of mega churches, right? With thousands of people that gather, and so that skews the numbers just a bit. But if this ratio is projected to the whole world, that gives us a much more down-to-earth figure of 3.1 million church buildings. So based on that very rough analysis, Kramer suggests that there are between eight and 16 million church buildings in the world. Now, I need to confess to you that I am not a mathematician. At 51, I am still trying to be friends with math. And this is a really difficult thing in my family because my Aunt Kathy taught math her whole career in Carteret County. And it's cringy to her that I do not like math, but I'm trying. My boys often talk about when Aunt Kathy comes, especially when they were little, she was so excited when they would get home from school and ask them, you guys want to do math? To which they would say, uh, I'm good, I'm good. 
But it seems to me that if you simply count the buildings as church, it fails abysmally to reflect the number of people who have listened and heard the prophecy of Joel that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If then the church is not a building, a steeple, a resting place, or even tradition, the church indeed is the people. So what does Jesus say about church? There are only two times in the Gospels, both in Matthew, that Jesus speaks of the church. The first is in response to Peter's confession of faith in Jesus as his Savior, the Messiah. This is what happened. Simon Peter answered to Jesus, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The word Jesus used for church here is translated to those who are called out. Peter's statement of faith is one all Christians give, and it is what binds us together as members of the body of believers. We too are called out as his people. We are Christ's church. You and me. I am the church. You are the church. Last weekend in this service, we celebrated not only Ascension Sunday, but we celebrated confirmation. 22 young people professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior as an outward act of their inward faith. They chose the church. We spend five months in confirmation. Seventh graders coming every Wednesday to be together, to think about what it means to be people of faith. Our foundation is the Apostles' Creed, which we just said earlier together. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And if that is true, then it changes the way we live our life. It has to. It must. We are not the same once we claim that as truth in our life. It changes the way we treat people. It changes the way we hope. It changes the way we grieve and what we do with all of our stuff and our money and our bodies. It changes everything. At the end of confirmation, we do confirmation interviews, one-on-one -on -one conversations with each confirmand. And we ask them lots of questions. What was your favorite part of confirmation? What was your least favorite part of confirmation? What will you always remember? And then we get to the crux of it all. The last two questions. Have you said yes to Jesus? And what does that mean to you? And the second, do you want to be confirmed? And why? How will that change your life? And so when we witness these young people coming before the church and saying yes to Jesus and making a commitment to 
Christ's church. It is not just about us witnessing it, but it's about us partnering together in it. It's not something that we do. It's something that God does for us. And in that moment, not only are they being confirmed, but we, us, the church, we renew our very own commitment to Jesus as Lord and Savior. We renew our commitment to his church. Just as Peter had an awakening to who Jesus was and is our confirmands, their parents, their shepherds, and us, the church, boldly claim that Jesus is the Christ, the living God, the salvation of our souls. For our confirmands, that holy declaration, their church family, their parents and siblings, their shepherds, Reverend Pittman, Andrew, our assistant director of youth ministries, and myself laying hands on them, praying over them, offering our own blessing, and renewing our commitment to Christ was a little Pentecost moment for them. And in return, Jesus says to us, you and me, I will build my church upon you. Each of us are invited to live out the good news of Jesus, not only in our homes or within our church building, but in our places of work, our schools, our clubs, our neighborhoods, our community, our families, our sports teams, everywhere we go, and especially in the whole world. Way, way, way outside of the confines of this church structure, this sanctuary, we are called out to go. Now the second place that Jesus mentions church is in regard to sin and relationships. This is always one of those wildly uncomfortable scriptures, but bear with me. In the Gospel of Matthew, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse, tell it to the church. Now, I don't know about you. I know we're all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God, but I don't know that I want everybody talking about my sin. I don't necessarily want it splayed out for everyone to see. But hear this. At the heart of this scripture, I believe it's about relationships. It's about being together. It's about walking beside each other, caring for each other. Many of you have heard me say this before, but I'll say it again because I believe it in the core of my being. In the very beginning when God created everything, he spoke into the void and it all happened. He separated light from dark and put the stars in the sky and the water from the land and the fish in the sea. God spoke it all. But when it came to humanity, God got his hands dirty. God dug into the earth and carefully formed humankind just the way that God imagined us to be. And once he had done it all, he said, it is good. But then he didn't stop there. God placed his very breath when, within us. The breath that we breathe is not our own, but it is the breath of God that has been given 
to us. And when Adam was set free in the world and named the animals and having conversation with God, Adam didn't look at God and say, gosh, I want more. But God said, I want more for you and gave Adam a helper, a companion, someone to journey through life with. God made us for his own good pleasure, and yet also he made us for one another. And so I believe that this passage is really about being together. It's about relationships. It's important that we take care of each other. This Lent, I worked through a book called Meeting Jesus at the Table, a Lenten study by Cynthia Campbell and Christine Four. They share in that book the story of Robert Ebeling. Robert was an engineer at Theocol, a supplier of rockets and mission propulsion systems. The company won the contract to build solid rocket boosters for the space shuttle program in 1974. Mr. Ebeling was manager of the ignition system and final assembly for the shuttle boosters. When Bob woke up the morning the space shuttle Challenger was to launch, he knew that it had the possibility of being a horrible day. That night before had been cold, only 18 degrees, and with a morning high of 36 degrees. Ebeling knew that the temperatures were cold enough to threaten the plans that had been so carefully laid out for years before. He knew that this day could be horrible, could be, unless he could change their minds. Robert called his boss first thing that morning with conviction filling every bone in his body. We have to postpone the launch. He explained that the frigid temperatures could have threatened the seals that were designed to keep the burning fuel from leaking out and potentially causing an explosion. His boss asked him to put together all the data and it would take lots of convincing, he assured him, to keep the launch grounded. Now we all know the outcome and for many of us, it's a marking moment. We remember where we were that day it didn't matter all the reams of data to prove his case to keep the challenger grounded that day. Politics and pressure interfered. NASA launched the space shuttle regardless. Bob stood next to his daughter watching the TV as so many of us did, witnessing the massive explosion. His daughter recalls that her dad stood next to her trembling and weeping loudly. Soon after that day, Bob Ebling retired. For many years, he suffered from deep depression that never seemed to lift. When Howard Burks of NPR interviewed Bob on the 30th anniversary of the Challenger disaster, Bob Ebling's words told of 30 years filled with guilt, 30 years of feeling that he had failed. He spoke softly. I think that was one of the mistakes that God made. He shouldn't have picked me for the job. Ebling said that when he met God one day, he would ask, why me? 
you picked a loser. Friends, I think so many times we doubt who we are called to be. We feel unworthy. We feel like we can't do the thing that we think we've been called to do, or even the thing that we know we have been called to do. So often we forget that God calls us his beloved and deeply struggle to allow ourselves to be loved. And that, my friends, separates us from God and from each other and the church. And that, that is sin. When Jesus invites us in this passage from Matthew, he invites us into community, accountability, the fellowship of believers, the church. In his 2016 interview on NPR, Robert Ebeling's words struck a chord. Shortly after the interview, letters started pouring in, filling the mailbox of this 89-year-old man in declining health with assurances that God had not made a mistake when placing Ebeling in his position at NASA. God didn't pick a loser. He picked Bob Ebeling, a man of integrity who did his job that day. He received letter after impassioned letter of encouragement and compassion and forgiveness. He heard from engineers who had landed on the side of politics that day and signed off on the launch. They told him the Challenger was not his burden to bear. He heard from NASA saying that the Challenger disaster is a constant reminder to remain vigilant and to listen to people just like him, people who have the courage to speak up. Three months later, Bob went to heaven. Bob's family says that those last three months of his life were like a new life that had been offered to him. Bob, a praying man, had received the kindness and compassion and forgiveness he had been asking God for in a community of people that hurt his heart and responded to him the way that Jesus would and did. If we are honest with ourselves, friends, resurrection and Pentecost can be very hard to wrap our minds around. It was even hard for the people, the disciples, the apostles, the people that had been with Jesus and heard all the things Jesus said. But in the doing of the things that Jesus calls us to, we remember all that he promised and did for us. It's in the remembering that we are empowered to go out Go and do, go and proclaim, go and be what God has called us to be. So today, this day, this Pentecost day, just 50 days after resurrection day, we remember. We remember that Jesus promised he would be back. He would overcome sin and death. We remember that Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit which he sent on this day so long ago, and just as he promised. Peter, his beloved disciple that claimed Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God, he would build his church upon. So to this day, all of us who claim Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, he calls us his beloved and is building his church upon us. Friends, those 16 years ago, when Bob Nations introduced me to the church, 
It wasn't this beautiful, sacred place that impacted me, although it's beautiful and it's a privilege to serve here. But it was you, all of you, you, the church, you, the people, the fellowship of believers that is right in front of me today. Friends, the Pentecost, this Pentecost, we have received the Holy Spirit and are telling the good news to all who will hear it. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world. Yes, we are the church together. And friends, may we always remember we will never change the world by going to church. We will only change the world by being the church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.